everyone. Welcome back to Lipstick and Lightsabers. I am Shannon. And I'm Alex. And today we're going to be talking about the one and only Rogue One, a Star Wars story, because it has come to our attention that we've never talked about (laughs) Rogue One before. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little embarrassing. It is a little embarrassing, because we both love Rogue One. Yeah, and especially since we've done so many episodes on Solo, and we, like, constantly drag (laughs) Solo down, even though we love it. We have issues with it, obviously, but we talk about it all the time. Yes. I just, like, I feel like it's because with Rogue One, like, there's nothing I would change about Rogue One. But, like, with Solo... It yeah. frustrates There's me. There's lots to talk about, like us talking, discussing what we would want different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we are going to be getting into all of that. But first up, just a little bit of news. So Mandalorian, uh, more casting rumors just continue to happen. I have just been like ignoring them. <laughs> Not even listening to them anymore. <laughs> I've muted the Mandalorian, which is sad because I like seeing fan art too. But I was just getting so frustrated with the Mandalorian rumors. Yeah, I I kind of miss the time where we, like, knew absolutely nothing, nothing about the show. Nothing. But part of me still thinks that, like, we know nothing. I, like, I know, they're keeping the secrets. I know, but I don't want to know, like, all these characters coming in. Yeah, it's... It's a little frustrating, because, like, yeah. I, I just... I want to just, like let go mm-hmm. and like just let dave take me yeah <laughs> i don't mind like i saw um one casting announcement i'm not it didn't come from starwars.com so i don't know how true it is but i think it came from pretty reputable source there was a casting announced but there was no character attached to the actor and that i don't mm. mind so much like that yeah, i really that it's like kind of up in the air yeah Although then you kind of get into, like, the Tross thing where it's like, ooh, who's this person going to play? And then it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of like how um, they announced, they made all these big announcements for season one, like Migna Wen being in season one. And she True. wasn't in it that much. She was a very small part. Um, but they made a big deal out of making casting announcements over her and a few other people. And then they ended up being not, like, big parts. That's very true. It could just be a way that they're just trying to keep interest, which yeah. I, I think another way that they're doing that, though, is with the gallery on Disney Plus, yeah. which, like, y'all, if you are not watching the it's gallery, so good. <laughs> oh my god, it's so, so good. So I think we've had two episodes since last time, yeah. right? Yeah, they talked about the cast, and then they talked about the technology, and, like, to me, the biggest takeaway here, well, one, is that Gina is a queen, And the second Mm -hmm. one is that I want to stand in the volume and I will sell my soul to Satan, Tom Nook himself. (laughs) I can stand in the volume. (laughs) I live in the volume now. (laughs) I just, oh my god. It it blew my mind, like, listening to them talk about it. Because we knew that they had been using projections for, like, the scenery. But it's like... It's so cool. And, like, yeah. John Favreau said, like, it's not necessarily next-gen technology. It's just that they're taking a bunch of different technology that already exists and putting it all together. Yeah, well, and it, it was kind of cool to see, like, his evolution, like, from working on The Jungle Book to working on The Lion King yeah. to this. Like, it just seemed like a natural kind of progression. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
it kind of blew my mind when they were talking about like game engines and physics and all that. And I feel like you can speak to it a little bit more since you animate that kind of stuff. Yeah. So like there, I'm not a 3D animator, so I don't know like game engine stuff, but like the way that they were talking about how they built parallaxing into those projected backgrounds. So basically when the camera moves, that's that that scenery that you're seeing in the distance will move accordingly because as you walk forward, things move in the parallax, like things will like disappear behind other things. And like, it's so cool that they're able to do that on set and they don't have to go back in and do it themselves. It, it's so cool. And, like, everything is, like, real lighting. Yeah. And, like, all the reflections are real. Like, they don't have to go back mm-hmm. in and do the reflections. Yeah. I, I just... have I have a lot of respect for, for John Favreau in the sense where, like, I think he thinks a lot like George in the sense mm-hmm. where he's, like, where can we push the technology? I think he's not as necessarily worried about bringing back practical effects as JJ was. But at the same time, like, still kind of using it. Well, yeah, but I think... Like, he I think the difference is, is that JJ's trying to pull nostalgia back in. Mm-hmm. And Jon Favreau is, is like, concerning him, himself more with how can we achieve what we want to achieve the best way. Yeah, and, like... I would definitely say that, like, the way The Mandalorian looks, like, I think that it hits on nostalgia without it being, like, in your face. Yeah. Because, like you said, like, he he wants to, like, push the technology forward and he's more concerned with, like, how good can we make this thing look. Yeah. But then, like, at the same time, like, he does respect, Mm -hmm. like, the platform. So he's kind of, like, using it hand in hand. Yeah. I, I really think that... And this, like, really surprised me because I, I was, like, really hesitant about John Favreau. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, you know, Jungle Book and Lion King are not that creative, but, like, technology-wise, they yeah. are. And so, like, he's definitely, like, the um, the tech, like, pushing things forward, getting things done side of George Lucas. And then I think Dave is, like, that storytelling mindset, like, yeah. pushing things forward. And it things always work better in a collaborative situation. Like, you look back even all the way back to, like, the 30s when Walt and his brother were working together and they were, like, two sides of the same coin, one of them better at the creative aspect, one of them better at the business aspect. And, like, you've just seen through history, like, how successful things can be when you have, like, two partners that are working really well together but they both bring two different things to the table and I think that's what Dave and John are for this show. Yeah it, it's it's really really cool to see and like yeah. we've talked about this before but it, it really shows like the amount of care that just like went into this show and like I really think that John and Dave just like really care about this story and this product they are giving us which is just so refreshing and just like so great yeah. to see right now. I also want to say along that same line, so the Rebels art book came out. Um, Alex has the beautiful limited edition <laughs> The one that lights light up. up. <laughs> yes. And my cover is different, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, ha- I have the basic normal yeah. one that Amazon also bent the corners on, but that's oh, okay. No. It was still readable. 
I'm just happy that it's the same size as the Jedi Fallen Order one, so it looks yeah. nice on my shelf. <laughs> are they both? Are they both published by Dark Horse? Is that why they are? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're so like, I have the three art books like for the sequel trilogy, and like you know those are like kind of short and then wide. So yeah. these are a lot taller. Taller. Um, and they only yeah. fit on the bottom shelf of my bookshelf. <laughs> So, hey, at least nice. the Tross the Tross book matched the others. Like their visual dictionary does not. God, that frustrates me <laughs> so much. I only have one other visual dictionary, but the fact that I couldn't put them together. Oh no, I have all three, and the Tross one does not match. Oh, the other God, two that's do. So frustrating. <laughs> it's so frustrating. But um, we haven't. So Alex hasn't finished uh, the Rebels art book yet. I finished it yesterday and there is one thing that I wanted to bring up because it kind of goes hand in hand with like Dave working on the gallery and like we're going to be talking about Rogue One I really love how it was like really important to them that Rogue One and Rebels be kind of intimately related and they kind of yeah went hand in hand and they went together I really appreciate that yeah, it's, it's the collaboration again, like, bringing two projects um, kind of, like, intertwined into each other and, like, make sure everything is, like, the language is, like, the same between the two of them. It, it you know, it makes Star Wars one story, which mm-hmm. is really nice. You know, like, uh, Ryan Johnson worked a little bit, like, on Bloodline, so, like, that's kind of a little bit of a connection. And then with this, like characters cross over like you hear Hera's name being called like you see the ghost uh there's characters in Rogue One that are gonna appear in Rebels like just the way that like the stories evolved like I just really like that that's something that they were thinking about because it tells you that like they wanted to make sure that it was all one story yeah but I think I think then you you look at the other side of the coin of that and you look at the Rise of Skywalker and you're reminded that the ghost is also in that movie, but it's also mixed up with every other ship that has ever been in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, this seems it, like... <laughs> it's like what you said, though. Like, J.J. is more concerned with bringing in that nostalgia and kind of, like, just yeah. giving you a lot of it. Whereas, you know, like, John and Dave are more concerned with making sure that it makes sense in the it's context because like to me in in that trust scene like i would have i would have liked more seeing like the colossus like yeah. it would have made more sense than seeing like the razor crest <laughs> if, if anything <laughs> like this rebels art book just made me more upset over resistance because resistance really got pushed aside yeah because of the rise of skywalker we're whereas, never gonna like, get we're never gonna get an art book for resistance <sighs> That's really sad to think about. Uh, I miss Resistance. The first season was so good. Just, But we'll talk a little bit more about the art book once Alex has finished it. There's some cool, there's some cool world between world stuff in there. There's not a lot, but there is a little bit. So it's kind of very like Dave to only have a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, in like the very end of the book, it like talks about like, you know, the story has come to an end, but it's very clear that, like, the story is still going. And I'm like, Dave, I know you are writing, whereas... Yeah, oh, it's just a matter of time, for sure. Yeah, 
It's gonna happen. It's yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> so the last thing before we get into Rogue One, um, some new quarantine wrecks. Avatar The Last Airbender, it's on Netflix. You should watch it. It's great. <laughs> it's been on Canadian Netflix for a while, but well, I know. love seeing the hype on the timeline. <laughs> I started watching it again. I rewatched the whole first season and it's just good. It's the best show in existence. It's just so good. So I good. Oh no, because I just rewatched Fleabag again. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Those are very different shows. Yeah. <laughs> very different. Uh, we also watched The Great. The Great! Um, about... It was great! It was so great! <laughs> it's um, Catherine the Great from Russia. Huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> oh my god. And it's it stars Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt. Um, Nicholas Holt plays Peter, Emperor Peter, and um, Elle oh Fanning god. plays Catherine. And boy, the acting <laughs> is good. <laughs> it's very good. I would say that this show, so like it's a comedy, but it does have some drama in it. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes accurate, sometimes not. And I would kind of describe it as like uh, Marie Antoinette, um, like the newer, like the 2006 one, where it's like, I'm going to tell you the story, but I'm going to kind of modernize it so it's easier to understand. So, like, there's a lot of modern language. Like, you you call Emperor Peter Frat Boy Peter, which is such a great yeah. way to describe him. <laughs> it's just, it's really great. Uh, if you can watch it, please do, because it's great. Um, I, like, I was surprised by, like, how good Nicholas Holt was in this. He it was like was... scary. Like I was like scared. I was like, "This is he's too good." I'm concerned. He was so like unstable. <laughs> he never knew what he was gonna do. I just like, wow. <laughs> he was. It's just so good. So freaking good. And the last thing I wanted to shout out was the Star Wars show book club. So they do that um, every other week. They've done Alphabet Squadron. And Queen's Shadow. Yes, mm-hmm. only two. So, like, the next one's going to be Resistance Reborn. That's on the Star Wars YouTube channel. It's actually really good. I was kind of surprised. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I do, but their little roundtable discussion is really interesting. And then they do a little, like, Q&A with the author after, and it's really mm-hmm. fun. So if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend that. So... I think we're ready to talk about Rogue One. <laughs> yes. Long awaited. Long awaited. I don't even know where to start. Long with have this I waited. Movie. Long have I waited. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so like this was the first movie, like Star Wars movie, that we saw like opening night. Like my mom and I waited mm-hmm. in line and saw it like in a big theater full of people. Yeah. So like experiencing the end of this movie Mm -hmm. in a theater full of people (laughs) was great yeah and when when i think back um to this time when this movie came out what i remember a lot about that time is carrie's passing Mm -hmm. because it happened what a week or two after this movie came out yeah it was very close yeah and like so when i think about the time when that movie came out i think about a lot of like sadness over that and um And I think I only saw Rogue One once in theaters. I don't know. What Mm -hmm. about you? I think I saw it three times. Because I I went and I saw it with my mom and I saw it with my dad. And I think I saw it one time by myself, I think. Because I, like, 
I remember I was, you know, a very new Star Wars fan because, like, I came in with The Force Awakens. And, like, by the time Rogue One had come out, like, we had already watched all the movies. But I was still so new to, like, the fandom. And, like, I was still learning a lot about, like, the world and the canon. And this movie just, like, really, like, it was so fascinating to me because it really shows you how, like, morally complex everything is and like the resistance isn't just like this scrappy band of good guys Mm -hmm. like it's a bunch of politicians that are trying to do things a certain way and like you know it's made up of a lot of different people and a lot of different people who want things to go different ways and I I really liked that they brought that in for the general audience to see because at that point in new canon I would say Lost Stars is, like, what come, comes to my mind when I think of something that was showing morally gray aspects of things. I don't I don't know what you think. Is there anything else that you would think of that did that at that time? At that time, no. I guess maybe, like, um, the Aftermath series was starting to come okay. out. But, but like, at that that's, point, that's not the same the first time book period. Was out. Yeah, yeah, the first book was out, maybe the second book. I don't remember. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't I didn't read mm-hmm. those when they came out. Um, but, like, that is interesting about Lost Stars, though, because I think Lost Stars shows you, like, a different side of the Empire, and then Rogue One kind of shows you a different side of the Rebellion. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how they, they fit together. And I couldn't help but think about it this time. You know, Thane is stationed on the Death Star at this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's flying a TIE fighter for the Death Star. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's 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 crazy because when you think of Lost Stars and you read it, you're like thinking about, oh, what what's Luke doing at this time? What's Leia doing at this time? And then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, what are what's the Rogue One crew doing at this time? Yeah, it it's kind of fun like to think about that kind of stuff. And I did so I went back and I reread the novelization for Rogue One, which if you haven't read, it is really good it's alexander freed which he's not my favorite um but it is one of the better novelizations for sure and right off the bat like it's very it's very clearly connected to the other rogue one tie-in novels so like catalyst and rebel rising yeah and like rebel rising covers a lot of time because it's most i guess it's basically all of jen's life Um, other than the events of Rogue One. So, like, it's kind of interesting now. Like, I wonder, going back and reading that, like, we know that Jin has a little cameo in the solo novelization, and so, like, kind of wondering where she's at and, like, what's the Rebel crew doing during this time. Like, it it does feel very intimately connected. I also wanted to say, so for the novelization, um, it does add a lot to the characters. I know... A big complaint with people for this film is that you don't get to live with the characters long enough, which I understand. I don't feel that. I feel very connected with all of them. Like, I liked them all immediately. But if that is something that you're missing, you get a lot of insights into all of the characters. You get a lot of different perspectives. Um, And there's also supplemental data. So, like, kind of showing you how Galen laid his trap. There's yeah. some stuff with the rebellion. Like it's it's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. I really I remember doing the, the the data sequences. It was like kind of like the interludes and in aftermath. Mm-hmm. And um it was really interesting. And then you get a lot of that in Catalyst also. Um but 
Another book that we forgot that has clear connections. Do you know what Rogue One book? What Rogue One book? Yeah. Is it the Bays and Chiru yes, one? Yes, it's so good. <laughs> it is very good. And it's it's really short because it's a YA novel. Um, if you want good, like, characterization for Chirrut and Bays, like, that's where you're going to get it. <laughs> it's very good. What is that one called? Guardians of the Wills? Yeah. Yeah, it's a and good it's, one. And um, who's the author? It's Greg, um... R- uh, Ruka. Yes. There you go. Or Rekka, however you say that. But it is, it's really good. And it's shaped different than all the other ones. I don't oh, know why. No. Yeah. But it, it works for how I have set up things. I don't know how other people set up things. <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. It's all fine. There's a really awesome scene that is in the book that is not in the film. And it's when Jen asks her father, like, why people fight, which I guess is a little bit on the nose. Um, but he tells her... That's a good question. My friend Orson says some people fight because they're angry, but I think I think usually people are unhappy and they don't agree how to make things better. Maybe if they'd agree, they'd stop fighting. It's kind of interesting to think about like within the context of this, like why is like why did the Clone Wars happen? Like, it was all Palpatine. He just pitted a bunch yeah. of people against each other. Like, why, you know, is there so much unrest within not only, like, the Empire, but, like, within the Rebellion itself? Because there are lots of scattered bits and pieces of the Rebellion that don't necessarily agree, you know, how they want to make things mm-hmm. better. You get the Partisans, and then you get, like, Mon Mothma's group. Mm-hmm. And they don't. Yeah, they don't agree on everything. Well, and, like, a, a big example of that, too, is Inferno Squad um, yeah. for Battlefront 2. Yeah, great book. <laughs> I think it's the best new canon Star Wars book, in my opinion, just because it really shows that gray area, because it's, like, an offshoot of the Partisans and, like, a really secret section of, like, the Empire. It's very, like... It almost feels removed, but then they're so, like, connected to everything. It makes it all so complicated, and it's great, and I love it. Uh, The other thing in this book is Jin's trauma. Like, you know, she sees her mother, like, murdered at the beginning of this movie, and then she's picked up by Saw, and she spends a lot of time with him, and you get to see all of that in Rebel Rising, but in the Rogue One novelization... Uh, Alexander Freed does this metaphor where she says that she has a hatch in her mind and inside is a cave where like all of her bad things are kept. So like her resentment for her father, her loneliness, like all of this. And she's so terrified that people are going to see this side of her. She's so terrified of this hatch being blown open. And like this whole book is basically what happens when Jin's hatch gets blown open and she has to figure it out for herself. And it's such a short period of time, too, that it's, like, everything is just, like, there's, like, a hurricane going on, basically. Yeah. And and if you, like, feel like her turn doesn't make, like, much sense, so, like, after she sees her father's message, like, she gets more invested in the rebellion the way that it is described like that scene in the book is done so well (laughs) like seeing how she just like falls apart and she has so many emotions going through her mind when she sees her father for the first time like it really messes her up it's very very cool 
But I think with that, um, we can get into the movie. So there's no crawl. What do you think of the no crawl? It's weird. Because, I like, like it. I, like, here's the thing. I, I'm not saying I dislike it. It's just, like, strange because I think what Solo does feels right to me. It was a lawless time. Yes. I, I really <laughs> do love what Solo does with that stationary, just, like, trying to crawl, but... You know what I mean? Like setting the scene. And in Rogue One, it's like, no, you're right into it. It's you're there. Jarring. <laughs> and like they, they have like this really loud sound too. Yeah. So like it just starts. <laughs> and I kind of like that it, it like unsettles you because like this isn't like a typical Star Wars movie. It mm-hmm. is a lot darker. Like it still has a lot of the same themes. Yeah. But it's almost telling you like from the get go, like this isn't going to be what you're expecting so it to be. So will Taika's film have a crawl? Will it have nothing? Or will it do what Solo did? I mean, that is the question, because we've only had two Star Wars stories. So, like, how are they going to set themselves apart? And, like, if we're still getting Ryan's trilogy, since it's a trilogy, are they going to have crawls to connect themselves? Like, yeah, how are they going to so, do these things? And and will films coming up all be called something a Star Wars story? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I have because no like idea. the main saga is over, and it's not like the Mandalorian is called the Mandalorian a Star Wars story. <laughs> I I wonder if it's like having to do with the Star Wars saga. It'll be like a Star Wars story, okay. and then if it's not like so, then it'll so kind of you're be saying something. that. Kenobi could be called Kenobi, a Star Wars story. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if we got Lost... Well, I guess Lost Stars does have to do with the saga. <laughs> I don't know. I I want a Lost Stars movie, though. That would be really good. <laughs> so, the opening scene is, like, when Jen is a child. Uh, yeah. And it is when, you know, they come back for Galen. And they're taking him away. He's got to rebuild this thing. I really like so catalyst isn't my favorite book but catalyst really changes the opening sequence of this film Mm -hmm. it gives a new setup for krennic and galen's relationship yes so like if you haven't read catalyst it takes place like right after like the empire takes over um like jen is very very young it's mostly about like the beginnings of the creation of the Death Star. Um, and Galen and Krennic were friends. You get a lot yeah, of Lyra. They were, they were good friends. Yeah. Like, I would say that they were best friends. And that really informs Orson's paranoia, I think, in this mm-hmm. movie. Because he... He call like he comes and he takes his friend and is like, you know, oh, you're taking us as hostages. Like, well, you know, your family's gonna come, it'll be great. Like, I really think that he thinks if he can just have Galen back, like everything will go back to like, hey, we were friends and doing this thing. And so the betrayal of Galen, you know, putting a flaw in what is Orson's greatest creation, like, it, it really adds a lot to that. Mm-hmm. And I love Orson, because he's so dramatic. He is. <laughs> the Death Troopers, love it. I love all of the visuals in this opening sequence. The visuals His in general cape. in this film. Oh my god. Like, 
I just, it makes me, like, see Star Wars planets kind of differently. Because, like, I think of when they fly in over Jeddah and, like, you see those um, giant statues that are, like, laying on the ground. Yeah. Like, it just feels so Star Wars. Well, it it feels so lived in. Because, like, a lot of times when you see old interviews about the original trilogy, especially the first Star Wars, a lot of space movies were very, very clean Mm -hmm. and perfect. And... George really brought this lived-in universe to, like, sci-fi, sci- like, fantasy films. And I think that's what you're, you're like, reaching at right here in Rogue One, is that it's so lived-in, like, it's, there, there's deconstruction here. There is, like, it's messy, it's dirty. Mm-hmm. I, it's very, like... <sighs> I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost like it allows you to kind of just see, like, these people... Like, this is, like, a farming world that they're living on in the beginning. And, like, you're just seeing these people, like, living their life. And then you see, like, this shuttle come in that's, like, so unmistakably a Star Wars silhouette. And, like, then you see these death troopers walk up. And it's just so, like... It feels very organic. Like... The blue milk uh, sitting on the counter is not super organic, <laughs> but, like, the rest of it just, like, feels very, like, we just found it like this. Like, you're actually entering into this world, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, what do you think about this introduction to Jen when she's a child? I think she has a really, like, loving environment with her parents. I think she... She isn't, I think she's a little bit of aware that something could happen because she comes running in. Um, but I'm not sure that she's completely aware, like, what's going to happen, especially to her mom. I mm-hmm. think she's like, she just, she's been living this really, like, good life, and her parents have been really, like, sheltering her from, like, all the crap that her dad has been put through. Mm-hmm. So I think it comes as a big shock when this happens. Yeah, I, I kind of think about, like, you know, she she really did, like, love her parents a lot, which you get in the flashbacks as well. And her being raised by Saw, like, it's a very different environment. Like, you, you don't even have to necessarily be told that, but, like, being raised in an extremist organization as opposed to, like, living with your loving parents, like, in exile. Like, obviously, that was going to be a little bit of a culture shock. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, you know, we get that famous line from Cassian later where he's like, I was in this fight since I was six years old. (laughs) (laughs) And he talks about, like, you know, he decided to do something about it. And he's done a lot of bad things and, like, kind of had, like, a hard life, just like Jin. But unlike Jin he was an active participant in that. Whereas like with Jen, I would say that she's been very passive and these horrible things happen to her, but she doesn't really try to do anything about it. Like she doesn't try to like become part of the rebellion or become invested in it. Like in Rebel Rising, she's doing a lot of running away. And so it's kind of interesting when they come together, like that's kind of the clash there, I think, is that like with Cassian, He's done a lot of bad things and he hates that she's judging him when, like, he had a choice and she chose to do nothing. Yeah. 
Also, Jen and Cassian, um, best ship. Love that ship. <laughs> <laughs> it will sail forever. They are god tier. God tier ship. <laughs> do you think that? Okay, so since Cassian has been in this fight since he was six, do you think they ever crossed paths while Jin was like being taken care of by Saw? I would love to see it. <laughs> in the Cassian show? No, because yeah. by then he probably already dumped Jin, right? Um, saw. She, yeah, kind of she like, was dumped when yeah. she was like 15. It's been like yeah, five years. Yeah, so then never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but it could have happened. It's an interesting, yes, it's an interesting thing to think about. That's like the one thing with the Cassian show, because it's like I, I ship Rebel Pilot so hard. yeah. I do, and but the thing is, I do want romance in the Cassian show. I do. I do. You can't have Diego Luna in no I romance. <laughs> like, I mean, just... Shannon, you shipped, like, Kale and, um, and Selena for so long, and I mean, that wasn't Endgame. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> it was not Endgame. But Kale gets an amazing arc, so... <laughs> think of it that way <laughs> i do ship kira and han too and they're not in game so yeah. you know we've done it before <laughs> so why don't we talk a little bit about cassian's introduction so first of all okay. there's a lot of jumping around at the beginning of this movie we go from like mm-hmm. wobani to a different planet to yavin and blah 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 to jedda because we're kind of learning where all these yeah. characters are starting so Tell me about Cassian's We find him in a dark alley. Yes. <laughs> um, and he shoots somebody. He, yeah, he shoots some stormtroopers. Um, and it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, like, the notes we're going off of, Alex wrote at midnight, and they're No, the movie, fil- the, the, the movie finished at midnight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they get... Better as they the re- go on. Okay, the reason why I watched this movie late, and this is late for us because we go to bed early. We're grandmas, if you didn't know. I needed to get to a certain point in Crescent City. <laughs> you were so, the fool. I, yeah, I've been reading Crescent City, everyone. Um, I should be done soon. But yeah, I just wanted to get to a certain point in the book. And then I was like, oh, I'll, I'll watch Rogue One after. But then little did I know I would be, like, so, like, upset about Crescent City. And it took it took a long time before I got to Rogue One. So then that's why I was watching Rogue One past midnight. Yes. But in conclusion, Cassian is very attractive. <laughs> yeah. But, like, talking a little bit about, like, where we could see him in the Cassian Andor series. So, like, at the beginning of this movie, like, when we're introduced to him, like, Cassian is a spy. Like, he works for Rebel Intelligence. And he is getting information from this dude, and he just straight up shoots him. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. like, he's not going to be able to escape, so I'll just shoot him. Like, he he can't think about those things. Yeah. Like, he kind of just has to do them and, like, keep moving. Like, Cassian is an assassin, mm-hmm. and, like, he has to just keep on making decisions and making choices. He can't let anything stop yeah. him. Yeah. It's interesting to think, though, like, he's rebel intelligence, and when you, like, think about the other side of the coin of this, of, like, the ISB, like, I'm thinking, like, who was an ISB at this time? There was, like, Moff Gideon. Yeah. Like, who, like, I'm just, like, thinking, like, who, who is, like, this other side of the coin to him? 
that's really interesting who are we gonna see i'm thinking i'm thinking like for the cassian show like are we gonna see yeah like is he gonna have like a callous type character yeah that would be really interesting or like in in killing eve like you have eve and you have villanelle Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) like i'm saying like spy stuff like like thinking that way (laughs) i I think they have, like, a lot of potential. Like, we'll kind of get to a little bit more Cassian stuff. But he is a really interesting character. And, like, how this movie is Jin have... Like, she's being forced to deal with her past and her trauma. She's being forced to, like, relive all of this and kind of decide if she's going to become, like, a participant in her life. Cassian is learning kind of the same thing. Like, he's kind of having to look back and see, like, the choices he's made... And he's learning to become more of, like, a believer. Like, I, I think yeah. if he did have, like, that hope and that belief, like, you know, that spark of rebellion that, like, inspires a lot of people, I would say it's been pretty extinguished by this point because he just has to keep doing what he does to survive. He's kind of like a machine He at is. this point. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Jen brings that humanity back to him. After that, we are introduced to Bodhi. I would definitely say that these three are kind of, like, the main puzzle piece players. Like, we do have Trout and Bays, but, like, yeah. they kind of get picked up along the well, way. And I mean, Galen is on the other side, but he is an important puzzle piece. Well, Galen and Bodhi have a really interesting relationship. So Galen was the one to, like, tell Bodhi, like, because Bodhi was kind of having second thoughts about the Empire. Like, Galen was kind of the one to tell him, like, it's never too late to make the right choice. Yeah. And so that's Bodhi's journey in this movie is that mm-hmm. he is trying to make the right decision and like do what he thinks is right and kind of like make up for the life he had been living before. Yeah, and I love when Star Wars shows that switch. Mm-hmm. Or like when you get to be in the head of a character going through that switch, especially like in Lost Stars. Yes. Like with Thane, like being there when he switches. I think that's, like, it's an incredibly powerful, like, moment to witness in, like, a lot of characters' minds and how they all go about it differently. Well, like, and these are characters that are on the bad side, but, like, they aren't bad guys, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it, it's kind of unfortunate that we didn't get to see more of that with Finn because mm-hmm. the, the, the journey here is, like, realizing that you were kind of, like, allowing a lot of bad things to happen and then just deciding Mm -hmm. to, you know, make a stand. And I I wish we could have explored that a little bit more with Finn, but I I do think we get to see a pretty good amount of it with Bodhi. Like, there there is more in the book. Like, it's kind of expanded on. Um, But Bodhi is, like, a precious baby, and he's just (laughs) trying to do the right thing. He is. It's... (laughs) Yeah, so, like, I just, I, I love seeing those moments, and um, and Bodhi's one of them. Yeah, for sure. So, when we get to Yavin, uh, I think it's really cool. So, like, in the Rebels book, there is art of the Yavin that they used for Rebels, and it was really interesting because they talked about, like, it's not the same imagery that they use for A New Hope, because, like, the jungle's a little bit different, And then, like, they were trying to make the Rebels one more close to what it would have looked like for Rogue One. It's, like, another kind of little tie-in of how those are related. Um, I really like Yavin, though, because it's just a beautiful jungle with cool pyramids. It's very luscious. 
But this is where we meet Draven and Mothma. And I would say within the rebellion, this is kind of like the point of contention. Like you have Saw on the outside, but like within it, like Mothma and Draven are like not seeing eye to eye. And this isn't even like Saw. This is more inviting within like, I guess like the tamer, quote unquote, the tamer rebellion. And Mm -hmm. it's like no one is agreeing and you see the same thing happen on the imperial side yeah for sure so like mothma is more about like you know she she's like within the senate and she really wants she like really believes in like the hope of the rebellion Mm -hmm. i think whereas like draven so like draven is who cassian is reporting to he to me kind of reminds me of like not necessarily, like, the Dreamers from Inferno Squad, but, like, yeah. how they were more, like, we have to get in and, like, take out these bad people. Like, that's kind of yeah. what Draven reminds me of, instead of trying to, like, inspire and that kind of thing. I think some of it is is Mothma not necessarily giving out orders individually to, like, her spies in the sense where... She's kind of given that responsibility to Draven and kind of, like, mm-hmm. doesn't, like, really look over what they're doing. Kind of, like, aware that they're probably doing some some shifty stuff, but kind of, like, ignoring it. Yeah, I really do feel like this is... Rogue One really shows us that, like, the Rebellion could have, like, completely fallen apart. Like, and it almost does um, if it wasn't for, like the Rogue One team, like, the Rebellion could have completely fallen apart. It's so um, true. But, like, just the fact that, like, they're not seeing eye to eye on how to do things, and, like, people are getting frustrated with, like, the rate of which things are going. So, like, in this, they're like, okay, go and capture Galen. And Draven's like, that's not how we're going to get anything done, and just goes behind his back to Cassian, and it's just like, hey, just kill him. Like, we got to keep moving. Yeah. I also really like um, when Draven talks to Jen because, like, this is when we get that interesting thing of, like, you know, I never had the luxury of political opinions and, like, that kind of thing. Just because, like, she's really... She really hates the Rebellion just as much as the Empire. And, like, that is something that you kind of see in Lost Stars as well. Like, they, yeah. a lot of people, like, especially Sienna, see the Rebellion as terrorists. And with Jin having lived amongst Sagrar's partisans, yeah. like, they have brought her just as much strife and struggle as the Empire. Like, to her, it's just more as personal, much. though. Yeah. It's way more personal than it is to Sienna. That's very true. Yeah. Like, for her, it's like, they have personally done me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have personally, like, they haven't done, like, it's not like, like, what I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is that the rebellion is very, like, was very intimate to her. Like, it mm-hmm. was part of her life, and she knew a lot of the ins and outs of it, and the bad ins and outs also. Yeah, she she definitely is more aware of the complexities within the rebellion. Um, in a way, you know, like, so is Cassian. Like, he kind of sees the different sides of it, too. Like, well, with Jin... The Rebellion and the Empire both took fathers away from her. And I would also liken that to Ben Solo and 
the Republic slash Resistance taking his mother away from him. Yeah, and she was so busy. I have to wonder um, when we get the Cassian show, like, what they will do with his backstory, with his parents, if we're going to get into that. Yeah, do we know anything about, like, his parents? No. Oh, that's so interesting. Because it kind of makes me think of, like, Poe. Because Poe... Group. Poe has parents. Yeah, Poe has parents, yes. Um, <laughs> Real parents, not Leia. <laughs> let's, let's talk about um, Poe's original backstory, his real backstory. Um, his parents fought for the rebellion, and so he grew up. His mother like, was a very good pilot. Yeah, he, he grew up with all these people. He grew up, you know, with the heroes of the rebellion. He grew up, like, with the lights of the New Republic, and then he kind of got mm-hmm. indoctrinated into yeah. the Resistance. So, like, it's kind of interesting that he, like, it all kind of worked out for him, whereas, like, I would say that same kind of thing was kind of happening to Jin with the Empire. It's just that, you know, her parents rebelled, um, and it just, it all falls apart apart for her. And, mm-hmm. like, with Cassian, like, he's been in it since he was so young, but it's clearly had it's clearly taken a toll on him. Yeah. Well, like with the with the Damarins, it's like they were free to go after mm-hmm. the war was done. They found like a quiet life on a planet. They they were able to kind of live in peace. And like that was impossible for the Ursos because yeah. they were on the run. And then if you look at the the solos, like the Organa solos Leia was still fighting every day after the war. She yeah. was busy. And, like, I think the difference is that, like, Shara Bay and, like, the Damarins and everything, they really got to go live, like, their peaceful life. Yeah, because, like, Leia, you know, since she was so close to the head of everything, like, sure, she could have stepped back, but, like, that was never going to happen. Like, what is the Republic? What is the Resistance without Leia Organa? I really love how, like, I just love that, like, all those themes, like, really carry over with all the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, I see a lot of people kind of, like, hate on Rogue One, but, like, it's really doing a lot, even though, like, it, it's so, like, well-contained. Um, but it's really doing a lot for, like, making you think about the other films and, like, how you see certain other characters, like, down the line. I think Rogue One is a movie that you, you you take in a little bit more every time you watch it, and you you see those connections more. Like first viewing, you're not gonna pick up like all these like subtle themes, and like especially if you haven't read some of the like supplemental material, mm-hmm. you might not pick it up as much. I would say like as far as like. St- like, spin-off, standalone type of things go. Like, Solo is a movie where if you don't really know Star Wars, like, that's just, like, a... It's still, like, a fun movie. And, like, Rogue mm-hmm. One, no matter how you slice it, it's not necessarily, like, a fun it's not movie. not a fun movie. <laughs> but, like, if you're a new fan, the ideas might be really intriguing to you, and then you learn a little bit more, and you return to it, and you go, oh, like, it's kind of doing these things. And I remember... I watched all the movies with my cousin. We did kind of like a a little bit of a machete type of thing, um, but we watched it after uh, Revenge of the Sith and then into A New Hope afterwards, and it was very jarring, like the to see 
what had become of this world because I feel like you really get a sense of like what the empire has done to people in this movie and then you get into Mm -hmm. a new hope and you you feel very hopeful and like very attached to it because you've seen like the tragedy that has befallen the galaxy but then like I mean obviously on a on a marathon you're not going to stick rebels in the middle of those two but I think (laughs) there is like there is a bit of a, a tone change because, like, I mean, Rebels is an animated show. It's made, like, for families to watch. And, but it's still, like, it still works. Even though, like, there's a bit of a tone difference. Like, you are seeing, like, this small, like, se- seed of hope within this, like, kind of doomed galaxy. Well, and I think it, like, Rebels prepares you for it. Yeah, like, so like, maybe, say- maybe going from... Revenge of the Sith into Rebels into Rogue One wouldn't be as, like, shocking. Yeah, well, like, I think about it, like, you know, Percy Jackson and Harry Potter, like, they start pretty lighthearted and they get more Mm -hmm. dramatic as it goes on and, like, it's dealing with heavier things. And I would say that, like, Rebels definitely does that. Like, the first season's a little bit more fun and things get darker as we go. So, like... If you were starting out like that, like, say, like, Rebels was your introduction, like, Mm -hmm. it prepares you for the heavy themes that you're gonna see in Rogue One, for sure. Though, I think that, like, going from Revenge of the Sith feeling very, like, um, doomed, like, Revenge of the Sith, like, the end of the movie, like, you see the babies, but all in all, it's very dark, it's very, like, sad, but then, like, I think about, like, like what else is in that era? There's Fallen Order. And I think, like, Fallen Order kind of creates this perfect buffer to both Revenge of the Sith and then into Rogue One. Because of the way it starts and the way it ends. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't really thought of Fallen Order because, like, it is you know, within that same time period. And it, it, it's coming off, it's very much coming off of that huge tragedy that happened. Yeah. And then it it's kind of stitching this family together. And, like, you could even say that, like, you know, seeing this little, like, family come together is very, you know, related to what you're going to see when you move on to Rebels. Because it's mm-hmm. about an intimate family kind of just yeah. moving through the galaxy. And I think you can see, like, a lot of comparison between Jin and Cal, because Jin, on one hand, she is very wary of the rebellion and she's hurt by them. And it's the same with Cal. He's very wary of the Jedi at that point. He's mm-hmm. hurt by them. It's it's a great parallel. Oh, babies. Star Wars <laughs> is about... Babies. Star Wars, Star Wars <laughs> is about babies. <laughs> so... Um, skipping over a little bit, uh, we do get the partisans. Um, I love this thing that you said, the holy trilogy of showing up in everything, Vader, Saul, and Maul. <laughs> you are absolutely yeah. correct. Um, and then we get our first CG human, which is Tarkin. So what do you, what did you think of Tarkin? Like, can you remember, like, what you thought of him the first time the you first saw time him? The first time I thought he looked really good. Mm-hmm. What about now? But, oh, I still think he looks pretty good. What about you? So, I I don't remember if I knew that he wasn't a real person, but I 
what like around that time I was I mean I still do but like I was watching a lot of like game walkthroughs and so the second I saw him I was like oh like until dawn <laughs> this is yeah. a video game character so like I saw it immediately my mom to this day still can't really tell I think it's done well like I, I mean like so. CG it, it's come a long way it's not perfect he's not perfect but I think he looks pretty good I think he looks, like, as perfect as he could be. Yeah. Like, like the only thing that kills it is just when he's talking to Krennic, because when it switches back and forth between Tarkin and Krennic, like, to me, you can just see, like, how the light hits um, Krennic's face a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's, like, such a minor detail. Like, I I think they did a really cool, like, a really good job with him. Mm Mm-hmm. I still haven't watched the um, the Tarkin stuff from the Clone Wars. <laughs> I know oh, yeah. there's a Tarkin novel too. Yeah, he's a he's a crazy uh, evil dude. He's a super evil dude. <laughs> I don't have much interest in him. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I have way more interest in like Orson Krennic than I do oh, Tarkin. I mean, Krennic is a lot more built up than Tarkin. Yeah. <laughs> And um, he's he's one dramatic bitch with cape. So oh god, I love his outfit, his cape, <laughs> and also he's so dramatic. Especially when like Tarkin, you know, Tarkin like really bullies him and like belittles him about the Death Star. And then the second the Death Star works, he's like, "So this is mine now." And Krennic just loses it, and I love it. Like he gets so upset. And, like, he goes and, like, tattles to, like, Darth Vader. Oh, it's so great. (laughs) I love him. So the next scene we get is a tentacle monster. Is it really Star Wars without a tentacle monster? It's not. And that's what's so funny. I wrote the exact same thing when I was taking notes. Oh, you did. (laughs) I did. (laughs) I was like, a tentacle monster. It's Star Wars. What are you going to (laughs) do? So you like the Borgullet? Um, do I like the Borgullet? Uh, not really. <laughs> but I do I, have this thing, which for podcasts... The poster? Yeah. Are you talking about the poster we got at Celebration? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Borgullet, so, um, a Star Wars story. Yes, for those of you listening, you cannot see this, but at Star Wars Celebration, somebody was walking around as Sagarera passing out Borgullet, a Star Wars story posters. Um, <laughs> and it says, he will know the truth. It's really scary, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I have it in the um, the little program thing, just sitting over here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Borgullet, it's he's there. <laughs> I think he's a pretty cool design. Yeah, it, it was a weird story <laughs> beat for me. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It is really weird. Well, like. I think it really shows that Saw Gerrera is, like, going mad. Because, like, Saw Gerrera, like, yeah. will not listen to Bodhi at all. Like, he he's so, like, paranoid and, you know, he just doesn't trust anybody. And so he, like, sicks this tentacle monster on him. And it's like, one may tend to lose one's mind, you know. And then, like, after that, like, Bodhi is, like, not okay. <laughs> Next yeah. time we see him. <laughs> Traumatic experience. I, I think it was a... A weird story beat just because it doesn't have a lot of repercussions. Like, yeah. it takes Bodhi a minute to kind of, like, snap out of it. Um, I do wonder if they could have shown 
Saw's madness in a little bit of a different way. I mean, I appreciate yeah. Borgullet, but <laughs> I think like they're try- they're trying to show like 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 the the rebels in like in Saw's camp being more cutthroat and not having as many morals potentially. Um, but yeah, they could have done it a different way, I guess. I like looking at Borgullet though. <laughs> It's kind of like, like, <laughs> I was going to say about how, like, Diego Luna wants to touch Yaba. Uh, Yaba. Yeah, um, do you yeah, want to touch poor like, Gullet? I kind of do. <laughs> uh, it just, it makes me, now I'm thinking of um, In the Great, Elizabeth has that weird room with all those weird paintings. And she has, yeah. like, a weird hentai painting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, like, the Disney trilogy, like, the Disney era loves tentacle monsters. I feel like loves. it wasn't as much of a thing <laughs> until... <laughs> loves. <laughs> it's just every, every movie, except for Last Jedi, but that has a titty monster. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> there must have, there had to have been one in Canto Bite. Oh, I'm sure. I think there's a dude with, like, a tentacle face. Which reminds me, um, Jin's cellmate has a tentacle face. (laughs) So there you go. There you go. Moving right along. Um, Jetta. So what do you think of this planet? Like, what is Jetta? It's... It's beautiful. Like, it really... This time that I watched, because this is the first time I've watched since we've been to Batu and the streets like the alleys the shops really remind me of Batu. like they really really look a lot like that yeah like the um kind of like the closeness of like the walls yeah. and everything yeah that's like the really marketplace really feels like that i was kind of getting that um in the rebels art book they show a lot of um scenes of Lothal, like the streets on Lothal. And to me, it was mm-hmm. kind of like a similar little bit of feeling. I, I think with Jetta, you get a little bit more of like the type of rock, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I really like how cohesive it all feels. Like it, it feels like a little Star Wars alley that you're walking through. Mm-hmm. I love that like this planet is introduced as kind of like a holy city. Um, like obvi- there's Kyber Crystal here. That's why the Empire is here. But this is also where the Guardians of the Wills were. Um, And that's, like, a whole other thing that I would really love to learn more about. Like, I'm excited for this Cassian show, but I would almost be more interested in, like, a Trout and Bays as Guardians type of show. Yeah. Because their book is really good. It's really interesting. Well, it's really interesting because, like, Trout is very you know he still believes very much in the force and he's hold he's like held on to his faith um i really love like we get that line from him the strongest uh stars have hearts of kyber but then we learn that baze you know was once one of the most devout guardians like of them all and he's really fallen so far I, i think you get a little bit of that in their book but I would really love to see more of that because Baze is definitely, like, very jaded from, like, what has happened to his city. Um, and I would love to get, be able to, like, spend more time with him. He's very quiet. 
He is very quiet. I, I think he, him and Charut are like the perfect duo. They are. <laughs> I, so like, what do you think of Charut just meeting him, his introduction? He's like, the way he just calls out Jin, like in the street, mm-hmm. and he's just like, hey, you. And like, he's so. He's so confident and he's so just like puts himself out there and he doesn't really care. <laughs> I, I've seen a lot of people make the comparison to like Toph Beifong from uh, mm-hmm. Avatar. I mean, they're both blind characters, but just the way that like, they joke about it or like the way, you know, like when he's fighting, like he. I love how he just is like looking around and he's not even like looking at who he's like fighting and it yeah. just seems very sassy to me. Like it's just, he's adorable. Everybody in this movie is adorable and very attractive. So, jot that down. (laughs) Um, Later on, when they are captured, um, there's this really amazing line from Chirrut to Cassian, where he says, there's more than one sort of prison. I sense you carry yours wherever you go. (sighs) (laughs) So, what's Cassian's prison? (laughs) It's it's his I, it is the rebellion yeah he, isn't like, that weird? that's what it is it's he's grown up in this fight he's been in it since he's six years old i think he doesn't think he has much of a choice do you think that if he had a choice he would leave the rebellion do you think he even could no yeah he, he's so in it. And and I think that's the thing, is he's yeah. so in it. And he says this later. He says, you know, like, if if we stopped now, I don't think I could face myself, like, because he's done so many things. Like, this rebellion has to be worth it. Like, his life has to mean something. I think he's so rooted in it that there is, he doesn't see any way out of it. There, there Even if he wanted to even if he could like there's no way he would have if he had survived he would have continued fighting through the entire war and he would have picked up he would have picked up his gun again in in like for for the um, resistance yeah see that would have been really interesting like if he had survived like this would have been a very interesting character to revisit in the time of like the resistance that's what the shame is about it is that like i yeah i get it but like there could have been so much story to tell yeah and like that's that is like the tragedy of it all and like i still think it works though yeah because he does go through a really amazing transformation um would i have loved to see him in resistance timeline obviously of course i would but i i do think that all of the deaths in Rogue One do mean something, and that's really satisfying. Which, obviously, we'll get to, because these, these deaths yeah. hit really hard. <laughs> so, let's talk about Jin seeing this hologram of Galen. This is, like, definitely the turnaround, I would say. Because mm-hmm. up until this point, like, Jin has not cared about anything, really. I think that... I- until this point, she kind of thinks that her father turned on her, turned on, like, 
on just like the world, the galaxy as a whole. So mm-hmm. seeing that he did this all for her is what really turns her. Yeah. So like this scene is amazing in the book. Like I just my hat is off to Alexander Freen for this part because she she's really going through like so many emotions and like just thinking how her father left her, her father didn't raise her and like living with her resentment. And I think it is when Galen says, like, I did all this for you. I just wanted you to be happy. She's forced to, like, really take a look at the Galen that she's had in her mind and, like, hold him up against the Galen in real life. Because, like, for so long Mm -hmm. she's told herself that her father left her, her father abandoned her, and now she's finding out that, like, that wasn't necessarily true. And there is a line, Mm -hmm. like, where she she thinks to herself. still out there. Yeah, he's still out there. And, like, she thinks to herself, like, could I have been something something else? Like, if I had known that my father loved me, would I be the person I am right now? And, like, that's what she has to figure out. Like, that's what she's left to deal with, like, for the rest of this mm-hmm. book, I think. Or the rest of this movie. But I have to wonder what was Saw telling her about her father all those years. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Saw being a very good father. <laughs> Um, just from, like, the glimpses that we see of him, I have a feeling that (sighs) if Stila had been around, things might have been a little different. Well, the thing with Stila is, is that she's his balance. Like, we were talking about this earlier with John and Dave, like, Walt and Roy, like, that balance, Mm -hmm. that, like, dual balance, Ray and Kylo, the dual balance, (laughs) that was Stila for Saw. Yeah, I I think that that is kind of like the tragedy of Star Wars is when it is thrown out of balance. So like, you know, the force is always like in balance and like that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and I <laughs> like I think about Anakin's fall and it was because he, you know, didn't believe in Obi-Wan anymore. And Obi-Wan wasn't there and he stopped listening Like, he kind of lost his balance. And I think Ahsoka was also part of that as well. Like, he, you know, wasn't able to talk to Ahsoka. And so, like, you're right. Like, Saw not having Stila, which if you haven't watched The Clone Wars, um, Stila was his sister. And she was a lot more... I would say Saw is more battle-focused. And Stila was a little bit more, like, level-headed. So without her, I think things just really fell apart for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Tragedy of Star Wars. <laughs> the original sin. <laughs> Splitting the twins. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get the twins back to Tatooine. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the original sin. <laughs> so, going from there, um, we see the devastation of the Death Star, um, which I was, ta- I was talking to my mom, and I think she was like slightly horrified, but like I love the Death Star, um, mostly because of, like, what Rogue One does with it, and what, like, Lost Stars does Lost with Stars, it. Lost Stars, what yes. Lost Stars does with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, when you read Lost Stars, um, there's a friend on the Death Star when it is destroyed. So, like, that's a really big deal that, like, you knew this person very intimately, and they died and on they the Death Star. And they were a good Star. person. And they were a good person, yeah. So, like, there's so many people on this station just doing their job, just, you know, like 
the the sanitation people like they're just they're doing what they can they're just working on the station like thane was just a pilot on the station like he didn't he didn't have anything to do with the creation of this thing but at the same time like it was created to destroy worlds and people convinced themselves that it was never going to be used but it was also created to be destroyed by the creator like the creator put in the blueprints a way to destroy it so he like galen knew that he was gonna save planets but he was also gonna sacrifice people that were on there yeah well and like that's one of the things that he says in this message like this is how he this is why he did it like if he didn't build this thing somebody else would have and since it was him he made sure that there was a way to defeat it because like if somebody else had built it and it was built you know the way it was supposed to like this would have ended the rebellion because you can't fight the death star (laughs) it can just blow you up so it's kind of really cool to like think of it that way and i also like at the end of this movie like krennic is destroyed by the death star literally um but then i would also say like mentally and like in a meta way like his obsession with the death star like ruined his life and yeah led him to the point where it his creation him to, killed him to insanity yeah he became like just obsessed with it yeah i i think catalyst shows that a lot too um it, it's there's a lot of like technical stuff in Catalyst, but I do think that, like, Krennic was very obsessed with, like, the vanity of the Death Star, and it consumed him, which is just, it's really, I I know that, like, Star Wars keeps building more Death Stars, (laughs) but, like, I just want them to keep talking about the original, because it's very fascinating. (laughs) So, let's talk about Edu, the rain planet, the wet planet. It's so wet. (laughs) So what's happening at this point? So at this point, Cassian has the order to kill Galen, but no one really knows until he is leaving the ship. He gets his gun and Chariot notices that he, the way, he, the way the force moved around him, he was going to kill. Mm-hmm. And then K2SO remarks that it was, it was set to, to, um... Sniper. Sniper, exactly. So, I, I just thought it was so cool that, that, first of all, Chirrut was, like, the force, the way the force is moving around him tells me that he's going to kill like the way the way that he can just like read the room like that is like it's crazy it's really like i i really like this is why i would love to know more about him because i i also think that like you know when you um lose a sense like your other ones become heightened so like i love the idea of like his sense for the force like being super heightened because like it helps him see like he can sense like how the force is moving around things um so this is like almost like an extension of his his sight basically and i think that there's like there's three things like happening on this planet and like nobody knows what anybody else is doing (laughs) because like krennic comes here 
because Tarkin told him, like, well, I think your best friend is the mole, so maybe you should go talk to him. And Krennic's yeah. super upset. <laughs> and he gets his heart broken because Galen is the mole. <laughs> um, but then we also have Jen, who thinks we're here to save, you know, her father. So she goes out on her own because she wants to see him. And seeing him in the flesh definitely messes her up again, just like seeing the hologram. And then Cassian is here to murder Galen. And it all kind of happens at the same time, like Krennic realizing Galen's betrayal, Cassian realizing he can't kill Galen, and then Jen seeing him die. Like, it all happens at once, yeah. and it, like, changes our characters. Like, th this is, like, the Fundamentally. Turn. Yes. Yeah, and not only for Jen, it's the turn for Cassian. Mm-hmm. I think this is when he's starting to believe in her. Like... After this, she compares him to a stormtrooper because he's like, I was just following orders. And she's like, well, you're no better than a stormtrooper, like just blindly doing what people tell you. And like, I think that is a very valid, valid argument. Like Cassian is just following orders, not really allowing himself to think about like if this is the right thing or should he do this? And like in this moment, he was like, I can't kill this girl's father. And that was the big pivotal turn for him and you know jen gets super messed up seeing her father shot down because she did see her mother shot down so having a bad day <laughs> i i think this is an interesting um turn for the rebellion as well because they like draven just went ahead and like acted and if the rebellion so if they hadn't have sent in the squad like we probably wouldn't have, like, the devastation that we see later. Like, you know, like, obviously, like, they could have, like, brought Galen back alive and, like, things could have gone differently. But, like, the rebellion kind of, like, showing their hand here, like, is what kind of spurs things into action and spurs things into motion more quickly than I think a lot of members of the rebellion were wanting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, Eju being this, like, rain planet, it's really, like, cleansing the scene. Like, it's really, like, showing visually that things are changing. Like, that they're washing down everyone's character and we are being, like, transformed into the next part of the movie. That's a really interesting way to think about it. I hadn't thought about that before. Because um, I, I think, like, when Jen is saying goodbye to Galen... I think that's when you really see that because she even brushes her hair back from her face because mm -hmm. like before her hair is like always in her face and like yeah. because of the rain like she even brushes that back so like you can see her yeah. and she's got all that raw well, emotion they, just on the surface yeah and they they do it in the rise of skywalker too they do like with the the ocean planet that's i mean that's the scene that ben gets cleansed like kylo is cleansed and becomes ben mm-hmm and, you know, the last Jedi, Rey jumps down into the water and she emerged mm -hmm. changed. Because, like, her hair, like, the hair is, like, a visual for that as well. Yeah. Everything changes here. Um, but before we get to kind of, like, the rebellion deciding what they want to do, we get Vader in a Bakta tank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On the emo sad boy planet of Mustafar. <laughs> 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 so, like... 
<laughs> I was watching this with my mom because like my mom loves Rogue One. It's one of her favorites because um, she loves K2SO. And when we got to this part, I told her, I'm like, so Vader is the ultimate sad boy. He's the saddest boy in the galaxy because he built his castle <laughs> where he got set on fire and his wife died. And she looked at me and she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm like, yes, like, this is what I think about, too. Like, yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with this. <laughs> Listen, Vader <laughs> is the saddest boy in the galaxy. <laughs> I mean, you really see that in the comics during this era. This is what I love. I've, I've come to, like, love Vader so much because mm-hmm. fanboys and, like, Vader stands get, like, all in a tizzy because, like, Vader is, like, super evil and, like, dark side and badass yeah. and whatever. But, like, if you read anything about him, it's just about how sad he is. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret. It's just Anakin under there. Oh my baby. God. <laughs> baby Anakin. <laughs> I tried to like think of Vader, this Vader, like as Anakin. Um, after like the Clone Wars finale, yeah. like you can really tell that like it's it Anakin really... under there. Uh-huh. Um, I think that it's harder to like kind of see sometimes unless you're like really trying to focus on that. But yeah. like, to the people who don't like the careful not to choke on your aspirations line. That it's is so dramatic. <laughs> it's so Anakin. It's so dramatic. It's so dramatic. And it's so in character. <laughs> like, that is literally something Anakin would say. Anakin, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. Yeah, say. you think he wouldn't say this? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry to break it to you, but Star Wars isn't about badass villains. It's about sad boys trying really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Exhibit B, Kylo Ren. (laughs) So let's talk about Jen's speech to the rebels. Because, like, the rebellion was, like, literally about to fall apart in this moment. She's, She's giving them this motivational speech that really just, like unfortunately doesn't rally all of them yeah unfortunately it's not it's not successful at first glance at least until after when cassian approaches her and and a bunch of other rebels approach her and say no like you're right we gotta do this yeah i think that this really shows you that like the that like that spark of hope like that inspiration in the rebellion has really dwindled in a lot of people. Um, like, it, they've been doing this for a while, and, like, the Empire's been around for a long time, and I, I think people are getting tired. And to see Jin talk like this, like, you can definitely see that, like, Mothma believes in her, but she's not gonna, you know, put her foot down about anything. But, like, seeing her talk like this, it does allow for people who still believe to like step forward and it does reveal you know who isn't willing to take the risk and this could have been it and like when Cassian comes around and says I believe you and you're just like my sweet baby you didn't believe her before about her father but now you've you've seen the light that scene is so important (laughs) because like he like the last time Jen talked to Cassian (laughs) she was you know, accusing him of 
trying to murder her father. And he, like, he can't argue with her because he was trying to murder her father. And, like, from that moment, like, he has been changed. And, like, this is the moment when you truly see it. Because he's like, I believe in you. Like, I can't, I couldn't face myself if I gave up now. Like, we have to, we have to try. Like, that's what the rebellion is about. And it's amazing. And there's a lot of sexual tension. And I'm here for it. <laughs> when they circle each other in that scene. <laughs> it's just I gotta great. Say it. I can't it's believe <laughs> they didn't kiss in this movie. <laughs> no, they did. You just didn't see it. That's yes, that's very true. <laughs> just like wow. No, but like when they circle each other in that scene, I gotta give it another moment. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> very appreciated. And then like right after that. Baby, uh, baby, Bodhi is incredibly baby. <laughs> he is baby. He's like, he's like, well, we won't all fit, but we can all go. <laughs> I love him, Your Honor. He's adorable. So after this, like the rest of the movie is the battle on Scarif. The end. Yes. Um, which like this is split up between fighting on the beach and Jin and Cassian uh, looking for the plans. Yeah, and then Bodhi in the ship. And then Bodhi in the ship. Yeah. So, I think like this is probably a good time to start talking about the deaths. <laughs> I remember when I saw this movie the first time, there was a theory going around that the Rogue One team were the Knights of Ren. Do you remember this? <laughs> No. <laughs> I think it was like a Matt Pat theory that what? Rogue Yeah, that Rogue One were the Knights of Ren. <laughs> but they would be like old. The, listen. <laughs> this was the theory. And I just remember like K2SO is the first one to die. And when he dies, like you're immediately hit with, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, they're going to just keep coming, aren't they? Yes, the hits are just going to keep coming. Um, I, for one, think that the deaths are very emotional and they do hit the way that they're supposed to. I have heard people say that, like, since they didn't get to spend enough time with the characters, like, it doesn't hit for them. And for that, I will once again say, you should read the novelization because they hit even harder in the book. I'm haunted by baby Bodie Rook. In this shuttle, you know, he patches in to the communications. He tells the Rebellion, like, hey, we're still down here. We're going to send you the plans. And he says, this is for you, Galen. And then he blows up. It hurts. <laughs> Baby. It hurts. Like, Galen, like, he was the first one to believe in Galen. Well, Galen was the first to believe in Bodhi. Yeah, it just, I love, I love that. Like, they didn't have to include that line, but they did, like, to remind you that that was the connection there. And, like, Bodhi literally gave his life to help the Rebellion, which, like, he was part of the Empire, and now he's dying mm -hmm. to help the Rebellion. Days later. Ugh! I love you, Bodhi. You are the sweetest baby boy, never done anything wrong in his life. Literally. <laughs> if anybody gets, like, the baby award in Star Wars, it's Bodhi Rook. <laughs> um, I also wanted to talk about 
um, Chirrut and Baze. So, like, the scene where Chirrut, like, walks out to flip the master switch, um, just with complete faith in the Force that he's gonna be okay, is very moving to see. Because this is a movie where, like, the Force and, like, the mystical side of Star Wars isn't necessarily present. Like, it's really just there through Baze. And I think in this moment, like, you can't deny that, like, the Force is moving through him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, this, this, this death hits really hard. Like, both of them. Yeah. Well, because, like, after that, like, seeing Baze pray over Chirrut after hearing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this whole movie, Baze kind of, like, writes off, like, Chirrut praying, and, like, he doesn't believe in any of that anymore. And so, like, in this moment, to see him, like, believe in the Force again, even if it's not that, even if it's just for Chirrut's sake, like, the fact that he's doing it, like, you can tell that, like, these characters were very close. And it's very, like, it it hits very emotionally. (laughs) I really love that. Like, it, it's very meaningful. Because to me, like, Baze kind of goes out, like... <sighs> Not that he didn't have anything left to live for, but, like, he was ready to join Chirrut. There's nothing really to add to that. I'm just sad. I know. <laughs> it's just, it's very sad. Um, still more hopeful than Tross. Yeah. Sorry to anybody who's listening who likes Tross and we keep salting on it. It's just a constant state of being. Um, so talk to me about um, Jen and Krennic. Okay, so I, like, last night when I watched this, I got so emotional over Jen introducing herself to Krennic, kind of being like, I, you, I think you know who I am, but I'm I'm Galen Urso's daughter. I'm Jen, or, like, I'm, I'm Jen Urso. Like, her owning up to this name, to this, like, family legacy, basically, because, like, previous to this, we know that she was going by another name. Like, yeah. we were told that, like, Draven is, like, oh, you were going by Liana or whatever the name was. It's, like, now she's, like, yes, like, I am an Urso. Like, I am proud to be an Urso. And I am continuing my father's legacy. Well, and until this moment, um, and it's very heavy in the novelization like she does not see galen as her father like she did not until like these events kind of started happening so her owning up to that and being like galen was my father you know like she's doing this for him like he he dedicated his life to make sure that this machine could be taken down so like she takes up that call for him like, it, it's very powerful. Um, and I also think, like, what she represents for Krennic, because, like, she is, she went unnoticed. Like, he knew that there was a child, and I'm sure they looked for her, but the fact that she completely escaped him, and then is his undoing, like, oh, the irony. I love. Well, it's kind of like Ray. <laughs> you're kind of talking about like this child that exists that becomes his undoing it's like palpatine couldn't find his granddaughter and then was his undoing that is really interesting to think about it's like you know like these women who went unnoticed and then it's like well i'm here now (laughs) and i'm here (laughs) to mess you up (laughs) this is also when we got the uh 
the knowledge that Cassian is still alive. Um, there was a fake out yeah. for him. Well, it's uh, kind of like Ben's fake out. Yes. <laughs> he literally falls down a pit. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I feel like I had the same feeling in both situations. <laughs> like, when I saw Cassian fall and when I saw Ben fall, like, it was, a, it was like, this, like, feeling in my gut that I was like, that can't be the end. I just remember <laughs> thinking, like, because the way that Jen reacts when Cassian falls, I'm like... He can't be dead. That's not that's not how you react to him dying. <laughs> Cause she just kinda like looks at him and then like keeps climbing. Do you remember how Ray looked at Ben when he died? <sighs> well, <it's> just <laughs> I'm laughing because I don't wanna cry. Yeah, I'm, what other choice do we have? <laughs> so, um Star Wars is about elevators and hallways. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the hallway in a minute, but Cassian and Jen elevator. ride this elevator. <laughs> okay. Listen. <laughs> okay, but. <laughs> they kissed in this elevator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I'm very surprised they didn't kiss on the beach, but I'm guessing that they didn't kiss on the beach because they kissed in the elevator. Yeah. I mean, I'm not debating you. No. I agree. Yes, they kissed in this elevator, like... Star Wars, it's about elevator scenes, and this one is pretty great. I'm sorry, but the way Jin and Cassian look at each other from, like, this moment until the end. <laughs> like, you know what? Like, go away with your, um, maybe they were brother and sister kiss of gratitude nonsense. <laughs> they are in love. <laughs> um, and now I would like to read for you um, what Alex wrote for the beach scene, if that's okay with you. (laughs) That's okay. So at midnight, Alex wrote the beach scene. I'm crying. What the fuck? Please kill me. I'm sorry, but I'm a mess and it's midnight. And honestly, that's a mood. (laughs) Yeah. Like the way they, the way they just like sit on the beach together and, and then they, and they hug and they look at each other. It's, and then they get blown up. So I wanted to read um, Cassian's little bit um, and like Jin, because in the book they don't really talk either, but it is like really beautiful. Um, so like they collapse onto this beach, they see that like the end is coming, they know that they can't escape it. Um, And Cassian's kind of reflecting on, like, all of the horrible things that he did. Um, And he said, Yet as he watched the pulsing lights of the turbo lift, he felt keenly that neither victory nor defeat would change the terrible things in his past. Jin couldn't give him what he'd come for. That was the crux of it, really. Because he'd given her what she needed, and he'd done the mission right, and he found that was enough. She believed someone was out there. Maybe it was even true. He did want it to be true. With all his heart, he did. Her faith carried him with her. When Cassian Andor died, he would be ready, and he would be content. And then it um, switches to Jen's perspective, and she tells Cassian that she's glad that he came. Like, she's glad that he was there with her at the end. And he tells her, your father would be proud of you, Cassian said. So softly, Jen barely heard. It was good to hear aloud from the lips of someone close. 
Soon, all those things, too, burned away, and Jin Erso, finally at peace, became one with the Force. This is, a, like, I would have preferred Vela ending like this. Yes. <laughs> because, listen, at least they died together. <laughs> I also just want to say that is literally the end of the book. Like, there's wow. the epilogue with the Vader thing, but, like, okay. that is that is the end but of then, Rogue One. But is, does the epilogue also include Leia? It does. But, okay. like, when it comes to... Oh, yeah, because it's the same scene, because they... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just, like... If you're talking about, like, Rogue One as a story, it ends with Jen at peace becoming one with the Force. Like, this was her story, like, of her dealing with her past and her trauma. And, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, she dies at the end and it's super tragic. But, like, her and Cassian, like, reconciled with themselves. So, like, Mm -hmm. they went on this journey and they did come out different people at the end of the day. And it's... Very emotional. How dare you, Alexander Freed, rip my heart out like this? <laughs> so, the Vader hallway scene. The mall one is better. Yes. <laughs> so when I watched this with my cousin, the last time I did like a Star Wars like marathon with my cousin, um, we love the prequels. Like we like to watch the prequels together because you know, like they're very memey and they're very fun. And so when we were watching Rogue One, she looked at me and she's like, this is a little boy who once said, yippee. (laughs) So I edited, I had my laptop, so I edited this scene when um, Vader starts killing people. I put in the yippee sound. (laughs) And now I just, I can't watch this and not hear it. (laughs) It, It's a great scene. It is. Um... Vader is still a sad boy. <laughs> yeah. He's sad under all that armor. He is. He is a very sad boy. This is... Has he seen... He's seen Ahsoka at this point. Yeah. Wow. This is a really sad boy. <laughs> like, take the amount of sad we were talking about, and now I've realized he's seen Ahsoka again, and just, like, multiply it by five. <laughs> he's very sad. <laughs> And he's about to find out about his son and become even sadder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> and he's gonna—he's still continuing to try to bring Padme back. <sighs> we didn't even talk comics, about that. His Vader, the comics his Vader happen. Castle. The comics happen between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, God. like that run of them. Oh man. Well, and the new run is between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. <sighs> Oh my gosh, he's such a sad boy. (laughs) So the last thing to talk about is the Leia scene at the end. So this is our second Mm -hmm. CGI human. Uh, What do you think of Leia? I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I was was creeps. She she doesn't... To me, she doesn't look as good as Tarkin. Like, I think the difference is, is, like, for Tarkin, it's, like, it looks like Peter Cushing, but maybe the lighting's off. Mm-hmm. But Leia, like, it's almost like the, the structure of her face doesn't look right. Like, it doesn't look like Carrie in A New Hope. I, I just, I have no idea, but I just wonder why, like, Billy Lord couldn't have, like, been a stand-in. Because she looks a mm-hmm. lot like Carrie Fisher when she was younger. But is that the issue? Because, like, obviously, like, who did they get to play, like, 
Tarkin, like to stand in for Tarkin. Yeah, Do I don't know. Do we know that that guy looked anything like him? I'm not sure if that's like the actual issue here. Well, no, like, and the, that's like yeah. what I'm saying is like instead of having a CGI Leia, like, oh, why not to have Billy? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, they people have, have talked about so like I would have been more okay with that, even though they look a little bit different. I would have been like more well, forgiving like, of that. You can reconcile um, Alden's Han and Harrison Ford's Han. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so, like, I, I, a lot of people have wondered if, like, you know, Princess of Alderaan would ever be, like, a movie, or if we'd get, like, a, a and thing with, be, like, Le- Millie Leia Bobby like Brown, yeah. So, like, to me, I feel like it's inevitable that, like, a young Leia could be recast in a different context, just like we saw Han and Lando, so mm-hmm. I don't know why we didn't do that um to me like yeah. it's kind of neither here nor there um i think she looks a little bit weird but i like that this scene is yeah in exists it. Yeah. yeah it's a really good handoff into a new hope like if you watch them back to back it's it kind works of, really well yeah it's very fascinating <laughs> and i also just want to say cyana is on vader's ship going after leia <laughs> yes so just to put that all that in context. So that is Rogue One. Um, obviously, there's not a whole lot like to expand on like with where these characters could go because they have come to an end. But we do know that the Cassian uh, show is coming. So they've said it's an espionage show, haven't they? Yes. So that's why I'm like, killing Eve. Like, what is it going to be? It does make you wonder, because, like, that's such a a side of the Rebellion that, like, we've never really seen. Yeah. Like, we've seen the extremists. We've Fulcrum. seen... We've seen... Yeah. I... That's, like, another thing. Like, is this gonna be, like, a fulcrum type of situation? Like, are we gonna yeah. get Ahsoka in this film? I... Okay, I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but is it gonna be, like, on par with something like that? That would like, be interesting. That, yeah. I am very interested in how they're gonna paint the Rebellion, because I, I feel like the best looks we've gotten at, like, the inner workings of the Rebellion, which I would say you get that in Rogue One, um, I think you really see it in Rebels, um, especially, like, once they've kind of joined the rebellion proper. So I, I'm really interested to see, like, more of, like, this side, where it's, uh, we see a lot of, like, the pilot stuff, and this is really, like, information stuff. Yeah. So that'll be very, very cool. And I am so excited because I love Diego Luna, and I love K2SO, so <laughs> it's gonna be great if we ever get this show. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question. <laughs> well, Kenobi's coming, right? Question mark? <laughs> I saw somebody um, um, talk about, like, if Anakin was in the Kenobi series, how they'd want to see the Clone Wars armor, and I'm like, that's too powerful. <laughs> yeah. But you know who is going to be in the Cork? In- I was going to say Corky series. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, give me a Corky series. <laughs> Corky is gonna be a Kenobi. I'm joking. No, I'm joking. What? Have we talked about this? No. (laughs) So, Alex and I are heavily on the train that Corky is the son of Satine and Obi Wan. And I'm sorry if you're not, then you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I just, I want him to be in the Obi-Wan series. I want Obi-Wan to find out that he had a son. <laughs> it was, yeah. just think of, like, the parallels it could add to his relationship with Anakin. Yeah. Secret son. <laughs> I just want and, it. And, yeah, and, like, Tom Holland's gonna play Corky. Obviously. So. I mean, listen, he's the son of Ewan McGregor. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> Um, do you have anything else that you want to add about Rogue One or Cassian? Anything like that? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> next time uh, we are going to be discussing the newest Star Wars novel, uh, Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston. I have actually already started this book and I'm interested. I don't really have an opinion about it yet, but it's interesting. It's kind of fun right now. So Cool. We shall see. Fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's I, fun. I, <laughs> you know, Star. They said that nine was gonna be fun. <laughs> True. They did. Oh my god. JJ did say that it was really fun. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, but as always, if you guys want to be a part of Lipstick and Lightsabers, we do share your stories um, every other Tuesday. So if you want to send in your Star Wars story, you can email us at lipsticklightsabers1901 at gmail.com. The instructions for how to do that are in the description of every podcast episode, but do not let that limit you. If you want to wax poetic about how you would also like to discover the texture of Yaba, we want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> like please like just don't be afraid to just talk about things because that's what lipstick and lightsabers is here for and if you want to keep the conversation going you can find us on twitter at lip underscore lightsabers i am at mccarter shannon and she is at alex leonis we will see you guys next time bye bye <laughs>